Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we've already sung this morning to open the service, where can we go but unto thee? The one who always hears our petitions, who listens with sympathy to our pains, who has the ability to change the situations that we find ourselves in, who has the power and the wisdom to know what to do in each and every circumstance. What a joy it is to know that we have a Father who cares so much for us and hears us when we lift our feeble cries to Thee. Heavenly Father, our thoughts and prayers go to our loved ones who have recently lost loved ones of theirs, but we are comforted in knowing that though they are absent from the body, they are present indeed with the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, let this comfort be a balm on the hearts of those who have just recently lost their loved ones, to know that they are in a far, far better place and are waiting for us to join them there. Be with us now as we would open thy word together, Heavenly Father. Bless those who are doing the same throughout this world today, those who are preaching thy word until thou wilt return. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> With the help of the Lord, I would like to read from the 10th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> I'd like to begin reading with the 17th verse. Mark 10. 17. And when he, that's Jesus, was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. 
Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. I've read until the 31st verse. Let's kneel for prayer. The Lord is indeed worthy that we bow before him in prayer. Eternal God, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Thou art the creator of this vast universe. Thou, O Lord God, as it is written in the beginning, created the heaven and the earth. And your word clearly tells us that it was your son, Jesus Christ, who executed your plan of creation, that by him and through him were all things made. And you created us, O Lord God, in your image, the crown of your creation, man. As David said, who is man that thou art mindful of him? What are we but dust? From dust we came and unto dust we shall return. O Lord, it is for this reason we come before you this morning. Because we are the creature and you are the creator. And we worship you, the living God. And not like <clears throat> others that worship the creature. Things that were made by you. Neither do we worship angels. But we worship you. And we worship the Lord Jesus Christ because he also is God the Son of the same essence, of the same nature, of the same eternity as the living God in the Godhead. Oh Lord, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And you love mankind so much that you gave us your very son to divest himself of heaven and place upon himself human flesh so that he who was the word who was with God became flesh and dwelt among us that we could know you as our Lord, our Savior, our Creator, 
and the sacrificial atonement which you gave of yourself on the cross of Calvary. To whom can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life? To whom can we go when you know us better than we ourselves? You know our hearts, you know the hearts of men, they're they're deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But you have provided us a way of escape, a way back to the Father, a way back to your Father heart. Lord, as we ponder and view the evil, the corruption, the unrest, the depravity, the sin, the horrific and heinous sin at times of mankind, how thankful we are, how thankful we are that we've been given the key to salvation, which is your son, Jesus Christ. To escape this corruption, to escape this world, to be translated from this dark world unto the glorious light of your beloved son. And we pray this morning that many that have been coming for such a long time or a short time, that they would see that this world is bound for destruction. It is bound for eternal damnation and separation from the living God. Not only in eternity, but if this world will continue much longer, it would sink to even greater depths of depravity if it was not for your Holy Spirit who is holding back the power of evil until that son of man, perdition, should I say, is revealed. O oh Lord, help us to heed your word, your unfailing word, which has fulfilled hundreds of prophecies already, undeniably, and yet will come to fulfill that which will culminate in the return of the Son of God to this earth. O oh Lord, help us to be attentive. Help us to have soft hearts. Help us to break up the fallow ground and to open our hearts for that seed which is able to save our souls. Be with the dear brother as you would preach it. Give him the words to speak, a clarity of mind. And may your Holy Spirit grant the increase as we accept it. Father, we pray for those that are not here, the shut-in, the aged, in this era, in this time in which a very smallest of microbes has somehow brought about a separation, a, 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 a divided church in a way, physically separated from one another, but also in opinions, in, in taking sides and hypothesizing theories. Lord, we know that all things work for the good to them that love thee. We know that you love us and you will not let go of us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God if we abide in you. And so, Lord, help us to leave these 
worldly events into your care and keeping. But as the Lord Jesus Christ said to, to Peter when he questioned, where's John going to go? What is he going to do? He says, you just follow me, Peter. Oh Lord, we pray that your will be done throughout this world and that we would trust in it. Father, we pray also for the sick and the suffering. There are many that are sick and suffering in our circles. Some are at death's door. Some have been suffering chronically for a long, long time. You know their pain. You know all of their needs. And you are the greatest physician that ever was. We pray that your will be done in their lives and that you would comfort them and ease their pain and suffering, knowing it's here for a purpose and for a season. Father, we pray for those that are mourning over lost loved ones. We pray for Millie and the family uh, throughout this world. For a believer, it's never goodbye. But farewell until we meet again. And there are many, Lord, that have lost loved ones, even as we heard in Kitchener, the Yukas family, how you have changed the life of Brother Paul in his early years to bring him to the saving knowledge of the truth. Yes, parting is grief, but we know that there's joy yonder. And we're thankful that they are in your hands, your almighty tender hands. Be with us, Father, now. Watch over us, provide our every need as we give you the glory, the praise, the honour and the adoration of which thou indeed art worthy through thy Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may recall a couple weeks ago I had a sermon on what it means to take up your cross and follow Christ. That Christ will not brook any compromise when it comes to a decision with him. Even family ties that would hinder obeying his call need to be severed. Those are hard words. But today, with the Lord's help, I'd like to present the other half of the gospel. Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. And perhaps some of you may think that what Christ was asking was far too steep a price to pay. Here we have an example of a young man who thought that but didn't perhaps understand the reality of the call that he was being given. Let's look together at that account. This young man comes running, running to kneel before this itinerant traveling preacher from Galilee. 
He was rich. We know that from later in the account. He was a ruler. We can read that in another account as well. A man of position and prestige that he would first run and not perhaps send a servant. You did not run in that culture if you were a man or woman of importance. Slaves ran. Children ran. Not rulers. Certainly not the rich. He runs. And he humbles himself by kneeling in the dust in front of this penniless preacher. And he asks him the question that others ask Christ. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Perhaps perhaps that's a, a question on your heart as well. Let's look at it in two parts. What shall I do? And then that I may inherit eternal life. He was looking, as would be expected, from the perspective of the law, that there was something that must be done, an action that must be done to somehow make oneself worthy to inherit this great blessing from God. He knew enough about Christ to know this was no ordinary man. Ordinary men and women cannot dispense eternal life. He knew this man was something special. Something special sent from God because, of course, he is the only eternal one. It's interesting to see how the Lord answers this young ruler. A lawyer asked the same question of Jesus and he gave him a different answer. But this time the answer that Jesus speaks to him is pure law. He gives him a portion of the Ten Commandments. He lists them out. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness or lie. Defraud not. Don't cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Now, Jesus in other places expounded on what each of these commandments mean. And so they were certainly a very high standard. And this young man, with a clear conscience, could answer, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Wow. I could not say the same. Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Allow me to digress for a minute. There are those who talk about a doctrine called total depravity. And in that doctrine, we are unable to even recognize our lost condition until God does something. But here we have an example of a young man who lived an exemplary life, who Jesus saw him, and even though he was not perfect, he still loved him. We know he loves sinners. But there was a decision that had to be made now. And so Jesus puts it to him. He says, one thing thou lackest. And I'm sure at those words, the heart of the young man leapt. There's only one more thing I need to do. What is it, Lord? What is it? Tell me. Sell whatsoever thou hast. His heart must have sunk. What? What do you mean? I don't read that in the law. How could you ask that of me? I already give a tenth of my 
my profits to, to the poor and, and tithe. I'm sure he was a, 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 a Jew of noble character that obeyed the law to the best of his ability. But there was one tie that was binding him. And it's interesting to note that the Lord did not quote one of the commandments here. One of the commandments he did not quote is thou shalt not covet. And that one, perhaps, is one of the most insidious of all. He still desired earthly wealth. Now, is that wrong? Is it wrong to have earthly wealth? No, and Jesus clarifies what he meant. But I want to draw your attention now to something that you need to understand about Christ's call to come follow him and something called the gospel of the kingdom. When Christ said to come follow him, he, he made it very clear, and I went through this in the last sermon that I was I, privileged to preach, that it means to leave everything behind. You become as a condemned man with no rights and no attachments. The cross rules your destiny. But that's not it. The way of the cross leads to something different, leads to something bigger, leads to heaven itself. But I think in the past, we've done a poor job of explaining what that really meant. Due to various reasons, and I'm sure they'll come up in sermons in the future, if the Lord tarries, I think in some ways we've traded our traditional understanding of what the gospel meant to the type of preaching that was here in North America that focused on heaven and hell. And the preaching was this. You need to follow Christ. Now, let me just stop there for a minute and say, ask this question to the believers here this morning. Why did you become a Christian? Just pause for a moment and think about that. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Why did you become a Christian? Often the answer, if we're honest and just give a quick answer, I would do the same. I would say, well, to save me from my sins so I can go to heaven. And that's not really the full gospel. Avoid hell, go to heaven. And heaven is somewhere up there in the future, unseen. But that's not. That's not the gospel that Christ taught. The gospel that he taught was that heaven was to come down to us. Not one day we would go there. Do you remember the words of the prayer that he taught his disciples? Take me to thy kingdom? No. Thy kingdom 
come. Thy kingdom come to me. Do you remember the words of the Apostle John in Revelation, some of the last words in Scripture? What does he say? Lord Jesus, take me to be with you? No. Look at them yourself. He says, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. And this is what we see, a new heaven, a new earth, and the new Jerusalem descending from God. And the statement is made, now the dwelling of God is with men. The church is to be the prototype, the example, the shadow of that glorious day when the dwelling of God will indeed be with men. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples? Here's one of the reasons I like the King James Version, not only because my personal heroes of faith have used it, but because it differentiates between the singular and the plural you. Jesus says, he doesn't say, let me put it this way, he doesn't say, the kingdom of God is within thee. He says, the kingdom of God is within you. Plural. The kingdom of God is to be here and now. In its fullness, it will be revealed in time when God descends. It's not that the preaching of heaven and hell is wrong. Because, of course, anyone pressed on the definition of heaven is going to be where God is. That's, that's the definition of heaven. Heaven is where God is. But, because I think largely due perhaps to the revivalist preaching in North America, we made salvation about a singular personal experience and left it at that. The singular personal experience is when Christ says to you, take up your cross and come follow me. That's for each one. But then that action is the gateway into the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is made up of all believers. The blessings of God. You know, it, if we just preach half the gospel, it seems to be all about what I have to give up. The rich young ruler looked at his bank account and his lands and said, Lord, that's too much. How can I give up all of those things? They're not evil. I'm not using them for wrong. He didn't realize what that giving up would entitle him Two, and Jesus answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now. Not a hundredfold in heaven someday. A hundredfold now in this present time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the world to come, 
eternal life. The problem of possessions, the problem of inequality, it's front row center right now because of the election in the states. Two competing visions for how wealth should be shared, how society should be organized. We're touched by those things too, aren't we? How much time do we spend thinking about finance, about our retirement perhaps, about upgrades or plans for the future? All of these things, as we know, are temporary. And that's where the cross banishes them from our life. The focus on them, the importance of them. Jesus said, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? What is it about riches? Isn't it the security that they provide? The knowledge that if I can no longer work, I have enough saved to take care of my needs and even my wants. No one wants to live hand to mouth. And we look at others that have more and we think, well, why don't I have that? That person got lucky and has all this money and I have to work hard for it. Whatever the thought process is. Do you realize the kingdom that you are being offered? To be a citizen of this kingdom is not like being a citizen of an earthly kingdom because, of course, in an earthly kingdom, I heard this quote once and it, it stuck with me. Allow me to repeat it. Someone asked uh, Webster, Mr. Webster, about uh, what, what is the ideal form of government? And his answer to those that were gathered there was, it matters not what government rules the people. The people will be happy so long as the leaders are righteous men. Think about that for a minute. The system of government does not matter. Only if those in leadership are righteous. Apply that to any system of government you may care to choose. Socialism, communism, fascism, monarchy, republic, democracy. It doesn't matter. As long as the leaders are righteous men, they will do what they know is right and what is good for the, those that are under their authority. And the people will be happy. Now think about for a moment the kingdom of God. The church is not a democracy. I think we sometimes think of it that way. It is not. The church is to be a monarchy, a kingdom with one king. Now it says a kingdom of God, and there must also be subjects. So then the subjects of the kingdom of God 
are the believers. And in this scenario, you can indeed have perfect government here on earth. The thing that everyone is looking for, the utopia, which I told you before means nowhere because it doesn't exist in earthly kingdoms. But in the kingdom of God, when God sits as the rightful king, there can be perfect government, perfect equality, and perfect even happiness. When believers have indeed left all to follow God, when everything that they have is no longer their own but belongs to the king, then personal importance doesn't matter. Status does not matter. You have a perfectly level society. The ideal, the thing that governments look for. But it's only possible, it's only possible through this gospel, a giving up of everything to gain everything to receive a hundredfold more in this life. Think about it, a group of believers committed to what the word of God says and living it out, realizing that this world is not a permanent one, but there's a better one to come. And right now, right here, being willing to use whatever they have at their disposal for the good of the kingdom and for the glory of the king. Think for a moment what that would look like. 